Welcome to the life of a global desi. A podcast that connects like-minded desis all over the globe by conforming to stereotypes and breaking them. Introducing Life of a Global Desi interviews. Yes, we bring to you our conversations with remarkable global desis who are doing some truly cool things in life. The idea is to bring fresh perspectives, add diverse voices, and expand the global desi community. On to our episode now. Our guest today is Vandana Vijay, the founder and CEO of Offbeat Tracks, an experiential travel company that focuses on unique experience-based travel in India and a few destinations around the world. She's a TEDx speaker, fitness freak, and a complete foodie who has deep-rooted love for the Himalayas and its cultural diversity. She's fascinated by geography, geopolitics, and the similar revolutionary roots of distinct world cultures. So without any further ado, let's meet our guest. Hey Vandana, how's it going? Hey, super excited to be here. All good. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> Great. So Quick context, um, I was first introduced to Vandana by my husband who I was dating back then. This is almost, I want to say, seven, eight years ago in yeah, Delhi. Yeah, I guess 2012, probably. <laughs> 2012, yeah. So eight years yeah. ago. And yeah. we went to this really amazing restaurant in Hoskos Village, which was my first time. So had a lot of fun there. I believe both uh, Vandana and Nikhil went to elementary school together in Chennai. And they were quite the troublemakers in class from the stories that I've heard. Uh, not entirely sure what was the issue there, but I believe their parents were quite frequenters to school and teachers would always call them about, <laughs> hey, look what your child has done today. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I was introduced to Vandana. But um, since then, we've been in you know constant touch and she's doing some really cool things. So let's jump right in and uh, let's get to know her better. Yeah, so... Well, I've known Vandana through a lot of common friends and I absolutely admire her entrepreneurial spirit. I feel like it's something that runs in your family for sure. So just mm-hmm. for those of you listeners who don't know, Arvind Ishwar, our guest on our very first episode, is her younger brother. So yes. it's definitely <laughs> like a family thing feels like. Um, but honestly, I absolutely admire her for just her entrepreneurial spirit, how bold she is and always speaks her mind. Uh, I just love that. And just how brave she is for following her convictions. It's super inspiring. So, Vandana, uh, just for... Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's lovely to have you. Um, just for our listeners and for myself to get to know you better, we have an icebreaker for you. The icebreaker is, what's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Oh, you know... It's going to sound so cliched now, but because I've been in Hyderabad, I think, for the longest time in my life, it has to, I have to confess, it's turning into biryani. Wow. And where is it from? Which Hyderabadi biryani restaurant it is? We we want, I'm sure all our listeners want to get this expert recommendation. Oh, so um, there is, uh, it's in the old city, Hotel Shadab. And now I've got my local contact who sources authentic Shadab biryani for me whenever I need it. So I'm lucky that way. I don't have to make the trip. 
all the way to old city but the biryani comes to my doorstep wow oh that's fantastic vandana i think shada <laughs> the only tricky thing there is uh, you're right like getting to it especially for us who live on the secunderabad side exactly uh, getting to it is painful <laughs> Yeah, but you're right. Shadab is one of the best best biryanis I've had as well, and I remember Nikhil and I went there, and we had this amazing Irani chai uh, mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. that's awesome. I so true Hyderabad. That will be there. a totally. That will be a whole another conversation. I think where we can talk about the food in Hyderabad. I think Nikhil and we will have a lot to share about in that context. That's for awesome. sure. For sure. To dive right in, Vandana. Uh, what are some identities that you strongly associate with, and uh, what were some of your early influences growing up? Well, um, to begin with, so I'm 32 and I'm single. I am a Telugu and I'm not an engineer and I'm not an MBA. So I'm I've anyhow broken all the stereotypes. That's so... awesome. <laughs> awesome. You are helping us do that on this podcast. Like so we've been having way too many um... stereotype podcasts. Yeah. So although I get I get that a lot um you know and I think as I'm getting older the moment you cross the 30 uh, threshold you keep getting that that a lot about oh you know what are you doing with your life and uh, and uh, I think I've just gone more thick skinned about it and um, I'm I'm unapologetic about the fact that I'm single and um, I'm I'm happy I think I'm doing what I love and in some ways or um, more than that I think that maybe I would probably not been able to do so much had i been conventionally settled in inverted quotes so to speak i'm just going to say more power to you vandana because i feel like uh you know so many of us especially who are you know born and brought up in india or even when i talk to my cousins here who are desi in in the us there's so many unsaid um expectations uh, from just the society right in terms of by a certain age you need to be married or do your mba or first of all do your engineering which is you know no <laughs> no two ways about it which you've already <laughs> broken those stereotypes how uh, how challenging was it for you to get over those identity uh, expected identities that you need, that you should have formed versus you know what what you truly wanted to do from from you know within it's actually been very hard uh maybe not on the engineering and mba front because i think my parents were very supportive on that aspect where i firmly mm-hmm. put my foot down saying that i don't think this is what i want to do however it's a constant battle when it comes to marriage <laughs> and uh settling down um it's you know very um hard for people to understand when i say that it's not that i don't want to get married i think it's a great institution when you meet the right person you know i'm not going to get married just for the sake of getting married because i need to you know tick mark one of those boxes i don't need a husband to financially support me i just need a companion i need a partner and i'm willing to wait to find that person no matter how long that takes however you know what you hear from people is oh time's running out you're not getting younger and there is set stereotypes which you really need to fight and uh, it's not easy um i have my down days you know your um, people literally voice your worst fears out to you <laughs> and uh, that's but i guess that's just something you have to deal with and move on i hear you completely and that's so relatable when as like a single female indian girl yeah. as well <laughs> uh, even though i think we come from relatively progressive indian families right absolutely. you and i and we have absolutely. the privilege of having that i mean my parents definitely do not pressure me into this but like i think part of it is just we've internalized this idea so much by what the society expects of us 
that it's just somewhere there inside you which is bizarre like whether or not you're at the right place in life whether or not you uh, that's what's needed of you or like that's what you want to do as well you're enjoying what you're doing so much like i feel like for me the fear is also like semi real because of me just probably turning 30 this year so it's just yeah. like no, wow i know exactly what you're talking about and also to the other fact i i mean call me headstrong call me a staunch feminist call me whatever but you know it's very safely assumed and i've had this conversation with so many men who assume that when you get married to them you're going to pick up whatever you have and move to where they are and start from scratch and i really push back on that saying you know what if you work hard to be where you are i have slogged myself to get to where i am and i've got dreams i've got ambitions and i do not want to throw it all away being just somebody's wife and i need someone who's respectful of that and um, honestly it's it's hard to come by yeah wow. <laughs> i think both of us absolutely relate to every word that you said there so so thanks for voicing that and and being uh, open and bold and candid with uh, you know all those emotions because it is uh, it is a uh, there's no black and black or white right i mean people are doing uh, what what works for them and i think it's high time everyone realizes that and and really gives everyone space to 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 grow into themselves right so Very yeah true. thanks for really saying that that's awesome yeah, that's awesome. And so with respect to early influences, what were some of your earliest influences that made you into this beautiful, strong person? Like, what were those? How did you turn out to be this so way? So I... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I think for me, um, I've been very lucky to see very strong women role models in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, right from my grandmother, my that's my paternal grandmother, my dad's sister, or the women essentially from my dad's side of the family. Uh, you know, we've had strong career-oriented professional women. We've had women working in the social space who have been animal activists. So we've had women who are going into villages and forcibly stopping child marriages. So I think I'm very wow. privileged to have grown up in such an environment and ecosystem where I saw women as, you know, having identities of their own and actually making an impact versus being mere spectators or going on with an identity of Mrs. So-and-so. Also, I think um, the army had a huge influence on me while I was growing up because of dad and my grandfather being in the army. And I absolutely loved everything about the army, my army upbringing, I think uh, the exposure, especially because I'm someone who's so outdoorsy. I think nothing beats your upbringing in a cantonment where you have every sports facility at your disposal. I love that. In fact, I still say I love the army so much that maybe if you uh, slit my veins, I'll bleed olive green instead of red. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I think. Did you want to join the army? So much, so bad. Wow. And um, so I took the All India UPSC exam during my MSc. That's a long drawn process, you know. You fill out your forms, then you take the written, then you apply for your SSB. If you clear your written, you get called for the SSB which is a five-day interview process, after which if you clear that, then you get called for your medicals and then a merit list. So it takes about a year, year and a half. And uh, for women candidates in the non-technical entry, uh, you have only 25 vacancies every six months. And I remember we were about, about six, six and a half lakh women candidates who were taking the written exam and we were fighting for 25 vacancies. So it was amazing. And I'm so glad to say that I came all India first in the exam. So I topped that. Oh my God, that's so competitive, <laughs> but so good. That's like, yeah. wow, yep. congrats. And it was great. 
I kid you not, I remember I had friends who were, you know, just passed out of academy, who were my seniors from school. I actually asked them, what are the punishments that I'll be given in academy so I can prep and practice for them at home so that I know what I need to do when I go into academy. That's how crazy I was about the army. Like, that is incredible. Like, All India won in the merit list. That's yeah. unheard of. Like, <laughs> I went for my SSB three times, got rejected all the time. So, for me, I'm just like, oh, wow. I wanted to join the army real bad as well. But it just didn't work out for whatever reason. But it's... I think I think for all of us growing up, seeing our dads walk in, I remember in school, you know, when our dads would come in with uniform, we'd be so proud of the fact that, you know, dad's walking in with the uniform yes, and absolutely. those stars on the shoulders. And yeah, I, nothing, Sense of pride. that feeling is unparalleled. Yeah, and it's great that we wanted that for ourselves and, you know, really went after it. But I, I do also believe that the Indian Army or any army in general, you know, needs a certain personality type. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for better or for worse, um, if you don't fit that mold, it's uh, it's probably better if, if, you know, you kind of do your own thing versus yeah. join the Indian Army or, or any army for that yeah. matter. Yeah, That was the reason why I didn't go ahead with joining the army. There was a lot mm-hmm. of friction at home in the first place because my parents were like, you know, okay, you've cleared it and you've come first and that's great. But... Uh, back in 2009, permission, permanent commission was not announced for women. So, you know, you had to sign a bond for 10 years and they let you off after 14 without pension or any benefits. So my father's whole argument was why join an organization where you are going to be denied promotions on the basis of your gender? Yep. And, um, you know, I did not see their point of view back then. But now in hindsight and retrospect, I think that was very, very wise of them. And I'm glad I didn't go ahead with that because... I probably wouldn't have done what I'm doing right now. <laughs> totally agree. Life has its plans. I agree. Life has its plans. And I think Aarti and I, I mean, all, a lot of us are coming to that realization in our 30s as we're <laughs> entering 30s. Um, d- do you think things are changing, though, like in the army as well? I, I know that, uh, um, you know, there have been a few changes in the favor of uh, women officers and women in combat. Um, you know, we have a lot of discussions on this issue and a lot of topics. A uh, lot of arguments, and we listen to both sides of the argument. And um, very honestly, I think what's happening right now is it is a very politically right decision. So if you look at it, the government just want to showcase that they're very friendly towards having women. That's why you'll have a woman lead every RD parade contingent, or you'll say yep. we have so many women going on UN missions and so on and so forth. But you don't see what's happening on the other hand is it's causing a lot of disgruntlement amongst men because it's not a living playing mm-hmm. field. When you are saying that you have so many vacancies reserved for women going on UN missions, UN mission is a very prestigious posting. The men argue saying that, you know, the women are anyhow, that maybe such a small number, you know, already reserved so many seats for us, for them. It becomes so much harder for us to compete and get there. Have a level playing field. When you're looking at academics or some criteria, just have it level. If you are expecting a woman to go up there and command her troops, why do you need to give her special preferences? I think what happens to a lot of women officers is also they suffer from an identity crisis, whether they want to be treated as soldiers or they want to be treated as ladies. And um, you can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. So I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, what's what's happened now is just policy, but there has to be a lot of behavioral change and shift which will have to take place before this actually is welcomed by open arms across the spectrum. Totally agree. And um, I think it's a more complex issue than we think about it, right? There's no easy solution. And I think industries across are struggling with it, including uh, institutions like the army or uh, the the government and of course, corporate. Yeah, Yeah, Um, very much. much. So 
Awesome. Well, uh, the Indian Army's loss is um, an entrepreneur's win, right? <laughs> uh, for for the entrepreneurial world and and the travel industry. So let's jump right into what you're doing right now and what's holding all of your imagination and what you're creating, Vandana. So, tell us what is um, Offbeat Tracks and why did you start it? Okay. So little background before that, and um, so after figuring out that I don't want to join the army and then. Mm-hmm taking a long time to figure out what I actually want to do, I finally decided to work with Facebook. And I picked up a job with Facebook for three years. And it was great. I think I got to work mm-hmm. with one of the, some of the best minds in the world and working with a truly global organization gave me exposure that I could have never asked for. It was just brilliant. Um, but the turning point for me was in 2014, when I went to Ladakh in May on about a three-week stint where I volunteered with a non-profit. And it was during that period that, you know, we trekked into remote villages around Leh and we interacted with indigenous communities. And I figured their real world problems, you know, um, things like acute water shortage, lack of electricity, um, lack of having a marketplace reach out to people. They're producing stuff, but they do not know how to market their stuff. And what I think struck me the most is that we are so blessed as a country where there is so much of diversity that we see all around us, you know. And um, the Himalayas have a very special place for me in my heart. And I figured that this is what I need to do. I need to create a platform by which people from India and the rest of the world can actually see how beautifully diverse our country is and, you know, just showcase it to the rest of the world. When we talk about diversity, it's diverse in terms of culture, terrain, dialect, food, yep. costumes, you name it. And um, so that was how Offbeat Tracks came into being. And I actually wanted to quit my job in 2014 and just move to the mountains. But I decided, let me hold on. And then in mm-hmm. 2016 is when I actually decided to take the plunge and said, that's it. I think I really need to do something which I'm absolutely passion- passionate about. And that's how Offbeat Tracks came into being. So... Um, the vision of Offbeat Tracks is to showcase the cultural diversity of the Himalayas to people from the rest of India and the world. And uh, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate that I get to travel across the region that I love the most. And um, every day I'm learning something new and it's been awesome. That's so incredible. Um, seems like, you know, a couple of things there, your love for travel and, and that you're a mountain, all an out and out mountain girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And also just, uh, you know, your own travel opens up so many horizons and, and for all of us, right? So I guess you've embarked on a lot of um, solo travel, right? As a, um, uh, as, as a traveler around the world. Uh, was it obvious or did you kind of stumble upon your love for travel? Like what was something that compelled you to travel? I think growing up, we traveled a lot because of the nature of dad's job. So we kept mm-hmm. moving around and the nomadic existence really excited me. And I think it still lingers on somewhere. But solo travel did not happen as a conscious choice. It just happened out of a need and a necessity. There were so many times when I said that, you know what, I really need to go to this place. And probably my idea of travel or my dates of travel didn't appeal to anybody else going with me. And I said, you know what, that's okay. Let me just do it on my own because I really need to go. I think the lust for travel and the urge to discover that place was much more stronger versus having someone share that journey with me. And uh, that's how I just stumbled upon traveling solo. What ha- what's happening now, of course, is a lot of solo travel is clubbed with a lot of work. So it's meeting mm. people. So it's not 
that solo anymore because I'm just flooded with tons of meetings or homestays and talking to people. So I don't, I, in fact, I long for the me time when I come back to my room. I don't feel like sharing my room anymore. <laughs> That's interesting. So <laughs> fascinating that, um, you know, travel is now, of course, both, you know, you're mixing pleasure with uh, business. While you were sharing that you had a full-time corporate job with Facebook and, you know, you were pretty comfortable, um, I guess also learning a lot there but then really took the plunge to be an entrepreneur, right? What compelled or inspired you to become an entrepreneur versus be somehow involved in the travel industry through another company, right? I mean, there's a lot of travel companies as well. Um, so I guess, why an entrepreneur? Interesting question. Um, so I think towards the last year in Facebook, uh, somehow whatever I did just seemed to lose significance for me. Um, I, we, we were working with a project where we had outsourced our workflow to Accenture and I was looking at managing that and I remember just staring at Excel sheets every day and telling the rep there saying, you know, you're supposed to be at 98%, why are you at 96.5? And I would ask myself, I said, I honestly couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> Excel sheets and numbers. <laughs> and um, I think that's when I took a very hard call saying, if I'm not passionate about what I'm doing, I'm not doing justice to my job at all. And I could make out that I'm not giving myself, not giving my 100% to the job. And somehow I just felt there was this injustice. And I already had a faint idea of what I want to do. And um, I had spoken to a couple of companies. I had spoken to India Hikes because I really like their idea hmm. of how they're bringing trekking together and so on. But I said, let me just take a stab at, you know, starting something on my own and seeing how I can realize this. Because what I was doing was not mainstream. Um, it still isn't mainstream. Something like the prod. Um, and, you know, what a lot of companies do is they specialize in select areas. So you'd have a company, you'd probably do something only in Ladakh or something only in, mm -hmm. you know, Himachal or something in the Northeast. But I said, I want to launch across. And I had traveled to Sikkim, I had traveled to Bhutan, I had done Kashmir, Ladakh, I was doing Nagaland. I said, let's just launch all of this together. I have the expertise. I know how to tie this all together. And why not just take a stab at it and do it on my own? And I'm so glad I did that because I think what I built today, and it's still, of course, a lot of work in process, in progress, but I'm so proud of what I've built today. So are we. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, we are. It's just gorgeous to have seen you go through that journey, right? Um, but when you were starting out, which is curious, like what challenges did you personally or professionally face while starting the company and how did you like sort of overcome that? Tons of challenges. One is we're bootstrapped. I honestly did not know the ropes of starting a business of my own and I owe a lot to my brother during this process because I really reach out to him for uh, support, confidence, encouragement and he's helped me a lot during this journey. And uh, finances were a big issue. So whatever I had saved went into this completely. I think the tool which I came in with was I knew the terrain very well. Um, and uh, Facebook gave me thorough knowledge of using Facebook and Instagram as advertising platforms. Fab. I knew the in and out of <laughs> Facebook ads and Instagram. And I said, okay, this is what I know. Let's just take a stab at it. And I spoke to my local network. And I just had people slowly reaching out to me and traveling. And then we built on it. And uh, and as I say, entrepreneurship is a never-ending journey of learning. You know, you're always learning something, learning how to build a website, learning your SEO, your marketing campaigns. There's been so much. There's still so much I need to learn, especially when I talk to stalwarts in the industry. I feel like I'm just such a blank slate. But I think the key is, as long as you're open to learning, you don't get complacent, you're just going to go ahead. That's lovely. That's lovely. So what are some things for like, 
for those of our listeners who are aspiring entrepreneurs as well, what are some things that you wish you had known when you started off Peak Tracks? And uh, are there any re- resources that you would guide them towards? You know, I know your brother was a great resource for you, but uh, any other resource that really helped you on your journey? Um, there's one book, which is a great book when you're looking at marketing, because at the end of the day, when you're starting a business, you need to know that your product sells. Mm-hmm. It's key to have a product market fit. Um, as they call it. A lot of us have these ideas and we, we've got these notions and I also went in with that and I had a lot of ideas and we've constantly been evolving as a company because mm-hmm. it's very important to realize that what you have as an idea or as a product, there should be a demand for that in the market. So I think it's very important for people who are budding as entrepreneurs is you probably have an idea but don't be rigid to it, don't stick on to it because it's probably not what the market wants right now, it's probably not what the market has evolved to. Mm-hmm. So you need to be very adherent of the fact that, you know, you have this right now and people want it. There's a book which I really liked about marketing. It's called Distraction. And maybe mm-hmm. that's what people could use as a resource to understand marketing, the various channels of marketing. Uh, we're very fortunate to be living in a digital age where we don't have to reach out to customers who are in our immediate circle of influence. I could have a customer today traveling with me from any corner of the world. And I really think we need to leverage that. The power of social media and as well as every digital platform, I think is a great tool to have for young businesses. Don't waste money on fancy shenanigans. Get your hands dirty. Do everything. I have done everything right from going and standing at the visa office and getting visas issued, standing at ticketing counters. Um, traveling all over, listening to customers shout at you, rant at you, but that's the part of it. You don't outsource any vertical of your job or profession unless you know how to handle the ropes of it because it's only when you've gone through it and you have your teammate coming and telling me this is what it is, you can empathize with them. So it's not easy. Um, it's a, it, it gets very frustrating at times. I honestly miss the steady salary, which I had when I had a salary job, you know, having that paycheck which comes into you the first week of every month. I really miss that. So you really need to be passionate about your idea and you need to know that this is going to be an uphill climb and you're willing to make that sacrifice and pay the price for it. That's beautiful. I just I just loved how you shared all that and were so candid about it. Like when you talk about um, just... You know, it gets hard. Sometimes it does get hard and it gets hard for everyone, no matter what field of life they're in. What are some of like your coping mechanisms? Like what are some self-care habits that you would recommend? And as entrepreneurs, especially, right? Like your stress levels must be like, whoa, way off the roof, right? So how do you, what is, what are some things that you do for self-love and self-care? I talk, I vent and, uh, I have, um, so I started noticing that some time ago I started developing mild anxiety mm-hmm. because there are times Global when you figure that nothing universal is controlled. Universal issue, yes. <laughs> I've started meditation, not vipassana, not something that extreme, <laughs> but I practice this form of meditation called this heartfulness. And mm. I've been at it since May last year and that's really helped me cope with my anxiety and issues. Could you speak more about it? What is heartfulness? So heartfulness is this form of meditation which was started by the Ramakrishna mission Mm -hmm. and it essentially involves focusing on the energy of the heart. They say that you feel everything from the heart and every emotion comes out from the heart. So they want you to internalize and focus on your heart and the energy that comes from within and that will be your guiding light to make you have all the decisions in life. 
I also practice a little bit of journaling, especially if you know there's something which I am not able to find answers to, mm-hmm. kind of just pen that down and leave it to the universe. And well, yeah, you kind not of do bad. figure the answers out eventually. Yeah, I think the more people I'm talking to and realizing, especially high-performing people, right, and who are always looking to uh, maximize their potential and be highly productive, have been quoting meditation and journalism and just practices that that you yeah journaling sorry um and practices that you need to internalize and really focus on your own thoughts and drive so much energy from that and every time someone says meditation at that time i just like take a deep breath although i should incorporate it in you know more in my practice uh it's obviously harder said than done but but also i i suppose once you started you just you know keep yeah. keep going it, on it like any habit too. right and it and it i think it just comes to you you get your calling at yeah. some point of time because my brother's been into it for the longest and uh, i've been yeah. wanting to but some it just happened and there's so many forms of it and uh, yeah i think you it'll come to you when when the right time's there and uh, yeah i'm just waiting for it, it. i remember on the vipassana episode both arti and arvind <laughs> when they were talking about their vipassana experience i was like man i got to do this but but yeah let's see let you yeah, know let hopefully meditation manage to convince her but <laughs> yeah we'll see hopefully <laughs> maybe this is the decade right this is the decade of mindfulness your the, the whole yeah. world's taken to it um Vandana, you were talking about um, just hardships, right? Like, what keeps you going in the face of hardships? I'm just curious. And personally, for me too, like, I feel like I could go down the entrepreneurial road. I kind of have. But I also feel like I just have such scattered interests that it's hard for me to focus on, like, one thing. But for those of you who go into, like, depth into one thing and actually take the plunge and start something, what keeps you going when when it gets tough? I think what happens for a lot of people is we tend to look at the ultimate goal and you tend to forget to look and value the little joys that come in between. So I think I make every little victory count and I try to celebrate every little victory that happens and not just overlook it because if you keep looking at the ultimate goal, you feel like you're making no progress. Also, it's very key to kind of track your progress on maybe a fortnightly or a monthly basis and see how far you've moved. for me, as long as I've made some movement in the right direction, I look at that as a little victory and I celebrate that. So I, my whole outlook has been towards looking at the glass uh, half full rather than half empty. And it's very important because otherwise um, it can get very depressing, especially in today's market and ecosystem where everyone's talking about raising billions and you know, social yeah. media does not help you when you look at everyone leading a super fancy life. And there are days when I'm like, I hope I can meet rent. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, wow. so I think you just yeah. have to make every little victory count. That is like, so real. You know, just to quote a real-time example with Corona mm. happening right now, mm. um, it's probably the most stressful time any one of us in the travel industry has faced. I've been dealing with cancellations after cancellations. Uh, no one's booking. Um, we're moving to a phase where we're probably just shutting down operations, sending our employees on unpaid leave for at least another month, and just hoping for the best to come back. So. Mm. Um, I think how I've, I, it really bumped me out, but I think how I've dealt with it is saying that, you know, I've always been longing for some downtime. I think it's just come to me now, so I'll probably make the most of it. When you were talking, it was just the whole idea of enjoying the process versus just worrying about the destination, right? And it it applies to so many of us in so many aspects of our life, but I think it's 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 relatable super relatable yeah no i hear you and especially when you speak about just the current situation being able to adapt to whatever is the situation and 
like you said, looking at the glass half full, right? You seem like the person who's always positive in 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 any sort of circumstance, and I think you've trained yourself to be that mm. way. And most of us, uh, you know, try to do that and look at the silver lining. So hopefully, this is the downtime that you've always wanted, right? <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> the forced remote working situation all over the world will hopefully help families to spend more time with each other versus yes. um, you know just be be remote and on dev- devices and working uh, so yeah um, sending that out in the universe so vandana we earlier spoke a little bit about your solo travel just all your adventures around the world you've traveled a fair amount in the southeast asia you know the western part of of, of the world the us and a lot in india right so one um one question that i had was what is a common myth about travel within or outside india as a solo traveling girl right let and and can you debunk it for us i'm so glad you asked this and uh, so as i said i love the mountains and i've traveled pretty much across the himalayas and that's what i tell a lot of solo women who are looking to travel with us is it's probably the safest you can be um i think aarti can second me on that yes. um you know the people from the mountains are probably the sweetest oh, and most hospitable even if you travel to the northeast i think just the social structure is so like a lot of states are matrilineal even to this date mm-hmm. and women have a very strong role in general society where you have them working in the fields they're manning the shops so they're very strong decision making bodies there so they're not just considered as entities and that's why i've just felt so much more welcome and you know hospitable uh traveling across the northeast i've been in situations where i've been traveling with two men in an anova and stuck in the middle of nowhere at a landslide in north sikkim but just never felt unsafe or being staying in a remote homestay with no network connectivity in a godforsaken jungle but just never felt unsafe because they make you feel so welcome and so hospitable so if anybody is looking at on embarking on their first ever solo a uh, trip in india i think the mountain should be your best bet i love that got it that's awesome and uh can you share with us um you know maybe a story or anecdote and again you you alluded to some of this in in the people that you've met in your travel uh what are some things uh that have happened on your travels that that really uh surprise you about people that you meet right the new cultures the the new landscapes terrains systems so many it's hard to pick but let me see okay <laughs> Okay so let me talk to you about my pet project and something which I am uh, very very proud of to have done so um on during my stint of working with the non-profit in Ladakh they work across a lot of villages and we figured that there are a whole bunch of villages that do not have electricity so these people live in these modest homes which and they spend most of the summer either foraging for firewood or collecting kerosene which they use it as their source for heat and light during the rest of the year when you walk into these homes these homes are the walls are coated with soot they're black because mm. that's what they be they be using kerosene and firewood and you know these are unhealthy sources of energy because it's carbon monoxide and carbon monoxide poisoning so in 2016 when i was in the us i connected with a group from california and um, they work with high school kids on a project called this lfl lighting for literacy Mm-hmm. Now what the kids do is they create solar lights and they distribute them to parts in the world where people don't have the gift of light so they're essentially gifting the joy of light from kids here to kids who need them So I spoke to a group there and I said you know what I know Ladakh it's this beautiful place and this group was a yoga group also and I said you're not going to see this kind of terrain 
probably anywhere else in the world and it's this beautiful marriage of you know tibetan buddhism and a stark landscape and i really think you should come here and we could do something and they said you know what let's just do the lights so in 2017 july 14 people from california came down we spent a week in ladakh where did we drove to this remote village stayed in homestays with local families so each one of us was given a host family two of us or three of us Mm-hmm. and then we trekked up to 14000 feet and solar electrified 10 homes that were completely off the grid incredible so i don't know if i think that moment for me like have you seen the movie swadesh where mm. you know shah yes. khan gives <laughs> light and this you know that there's that moment when he, this lady sees light for the first time in her life in her house yeah that's, electricity absolutely that is so true that's exactly what we did for 10 homes i wish i could share wow. those videos with you and i think um the impact that we created you know and, and we have this one villager saying that what you've done here is you've literally given a blind person light you That's know and uh, incredible i think yeah. and what we learned also especially for the group from california it said it was such a humbling experience for them especially when you're coming from a land which is probably you know you have the most entitled people in the world where everything mm-hmm. is so taken for granted and we all know that, you know how us is a land of excess and abundance it was so humbling for them it was such a grounding experience to work with people and after those 5 days when we left the village all of us had tears in our eyes i think it was just that bonding and that cross cultural interaction where you know um the ladakis could speak english the americans could speak hindi or ladakhi but that didn't matter they still communicated they still connected they still bonded and it just made me kind of realize have this newfound faith in humanity saying we all speak the same language you know we all speak i might sound very filmy here but compassion <laughs> love we all speak the same language you just yeah. need to form that connect but there is so much truth in that you know so that's absolutely right yes. and you made that happen so so i think that's incredible yeah, and that's through this podcast i'd love to spread the word around saying that the mission's not over and i lead expeditions every year into ladakh and we are looking mm-hmm. at more and more people to come and participate with us stay in these village homestays which are totally off the grid and electrify more homes so we bring more clean energy to the region so anyone who's be interested I'd we'd love to have you come and travel with us and experience travel not as a tourist but a traveler that's lovely that's lovely vanna that's so inspiring thank you so much for sharing your entire journey was like a great example of um the few people who actually get to make their passions their professions and uh, it was it was just so uh, inspiring and like to follow your journey and to like see it uh, unfold through this interview um so what are you curious about right now what's uh, occupying your brain space <laughs> so i just got back from meghalaya two days ago uh-huh. and um, so meghalaya is wants to pitch itself as the adventure capital of india and i kid you not they've got so much in that state so we went hot air ballooning in meghalaya they've got cliff jumping they've got rafting they've got caving and um, they have the largest limestone cave network in the world in the world and, uh, we just know in the world <laughs> wow. in the world yeah let's underline and that that's crazy it is yeah. still being explored and uh, you know they've got these companies and i just said that you know we're sitting on these raw uncut diamonds in this country 
the Northeast is this gem which is just waiting to be explored and told. You, just if you look at Meghalaya as a state, they've got the Garo, the Khasis and the Jaintias, three distinct tribes, three distinct cultures, that distinct that each tribe cannot understand each other's dialect. So they have used English as the common language of communication with each other. Wow. Distinct cuisine and so on. I just said that you were sitting on this hotbed of tourism and I very firmly believe in the concept of you know, low volume but very, very high impact based tourism. I do not want the Northeast to become your next Shimla, Mansuri or Uti, but I want this to be a place where people are truly seeking culture or adventure to come here. And I'm super excited about working on this project right now with the government. So we're talking to multiple parties and, you know, looking at adventure companies who are doing a brilliant job with caving, especially in Vietnam, and looking at probably how we can network with them, have these people go there, do a cross-cultural interaction, get some skills from them. And I'd, I'd just be super happy to see if we can have caving in Meghalaya as the next big thing and people from around the world and India come and do this. It's definitely not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> you would be trekking in caves, crawling, swimming, but it is an adventure of a lifetime. Wow. That sounds so exciting. Like you have just appealed to my the adventurer in me. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners too, right? We'll definitely link all of the, uh, you know, interesting things that you're talking about in, in the show notes for, for those of you who want to go, yes. go ahead and explore that. And then yeah. while you were talking, you alluded to uh, Vietnam. Like tell us more about like the global element of Offbeat Tracks. Yeah. So I think Offbeat Tracks is about experiences all over. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do adventure, we do culture, we do culinary tours. Um, I'm a foodie myself, so uh, food, gastronomy and its origins appeal to me a lot. So why I talked about Vietnam was because, again, the Vietnamese are a country which are very proud about their heritage and culture. And I really like that about people. And um, caving, they have the largest cave in central Vietnam. And uh, they it, it literally draws adventurers from around the world to it like moths to a, moths to a flame and they're not cheap uh, some of the costliest caves cost you about three thousand dollars for a three night four day trek but you still have people coming and doing it because they've done such a brilliant job at branding and promoting themselves as a nation so that's that i was in turkey last year i think one of the prettiest countries i've been to with one of the best people one of the most good looking people by far and wow. uh, <laughs> lovely food. It was very interesting to see how a lot of Indian culture has an influence on Turkey, Persia, and Central Asia. So you, um, a lot of words, food. Then we've just recently launched into Central Asia, and we have this gastronomy tour across Uzbekistan, where we trace the beginnings of the humble samosa. And interestingly, mm. that's where it originated from. So they were mutton-filled dumplings, which are deep-fried. And then they traveled along the Silk Route, came into right. Ladakh. And Ladakh is, again, a great place to find these influences from across. And eventually, when they traveled down south into the subcontinent, that's how they got Indianized to the samosas that we eat today. Wow, I have no idea. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's incredible. So that's incredible. why, again, Ladakh is something which is very dear to me is because... Uh, geographically, Ladakh was at this juncture where you had traders from Central Asia come in, from China come in, from Punjab and Deccan come in and, you know, they exchanged uh, goods, culture, ideas. So it's a very, very interesting place to see how everything assembled. If you look at even Buddhism, Buddhism mm-hmm. moved from Kashmir into Ladakh. So when you drive from Kargil into Leh, if you look mm-hmm. at the Buddha statues in Mulbek, 
uh, that's towards west, uh, western Ladakh, the features are very Indianized. But as and when you keep moving towards eastern Ladakh, towards Tibet, you'll see all the sculptures, the features are very Mongoloid because that's when the Tibetan influence into Buddhism came in. So it's a very interesting study to see how culture and region has impacted what we see today. Sorry, sorry for the nerdy gyan. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I feel like there's, there's such a nerd in all of us for sure, but you definitely <laughs> seem like even a history buff and, you know, trying to... Um, you know, really amalgamate all of those interests, you know, with history, travel and entrepreneurship. So, so exciting to see that. Um, this has been so much fun, Vandana. And uh, to wrap this up, we want to ask you, uh, what does the term global desi mean to you? And um, how do you identify as a global desi? Clearly with all if your you do, yeah, travel, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you do, right? I mean, do you identify as a global desi? Why or why not? So I'm very desi to begin with. <laughs> I love my desi food. I love Bollywood. <laughs> I love awesome. everything they see about it. But I think um, I, I'm very happy to say that today we're at this point where India is at this center fold where we are very consciously as Indians talking about how Indian culture impacted a lot around the world. You know, while growing up, we had a very Westocentric understanding of culture where we felt that the West was the center of civilization and they impacted everything. But today, in fact, there are a couple of authors whom I swear by someone like Sanjeev Sanyal who talks about how India and Indian culture had a huge impact on at least the Indian Ocean region. And I think that's what I relate with. And I see that being an Indian, but when I go to all these places around the world, I see how Indian culture has impacted these regions as well as how within India we've taken bits from cultures around the world. And I think that's what being a global desi all is all about. Is there anything else, Vandana, that you'd like our listeners to know about you? I think we've uncovered so many deep facets of, uh, you know, your life and, and just the motivations um, underlying those. And, and that's been a very interesting process for both Aarti and me and hopefully the listeners as well. Anything else you would like them to know about you? Is there, um, is there something that we didn't ask and, you know, but should have? Uh, no, I think you guys have pretty much covered everything. Cool. And, uh, it's been so much of fun. <laughs> Loved having this conversation. It just—I think it felt like we were just sitting and having this yeah, chat together. Exactly. Yes, that is so the whole idea, right? We, we, Arthi and I keep talking about this. Uh, one of the things we want to do with this podcast is also have more deeper connections with our own friends and the people that we know are doing such cool things, yeah. right? Uh, because what you see on social media and the few interactions or likes that, or you know, quick messages that we send don't really get into the depth of understanding a person and our own friends and people we know right mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully even strangers and you know hopefully through this podcast we've been able to do that and I know for a fact in the past 45 minutes I've gotten to know you much more than um, you know the few other interactions in life that I've had with you so thanks for uh, sharing that yes my pleasure I bet so much fun absolutely and fab and yeah Arti, go yeah ahead. and where can people <laughs> find you on social media all over Actually, um, sorry to brag, but yeah, you can just Google Vandana Vijay and you'll have, you'll have a lot of details ooh, around ooh. it. <laughs> so that just Vandana Vijay, yeah. Vandana Vijay offbeat track should be enough. And um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. You probably are um, the guest that we have had so far who, if you Google, will come up the first few pages and not some <laughs> random Vandana Vijay. So almost a mini celebrity. Yay. Yay yeah. to that. And, you know, um, so, so proud of you, Vandana. Thank Great. You. Thank you so much. And we'll let you get on with your weekend. But um, um, thanks again for coming and uh, so, so excited to uh, share this, share your great journey with Offbeat Tracks with the rest of the world. Yes, absolutely. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I had so much fun. Thanks a lot. Great. Right. And to the listeners, uh, stay curious and keep listening.
peace out. Hey Daisies, if you enjoyed this episode, then please rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you're listening to podcasts. And drop us a note on lifeofaglobaldesi at gmail.com or our social media to keep up this awesome dialogue. Oh, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating. You're so cheap. Why are you asking them for five-star ratings? <laughs> well, I always ask for the rating I want, not the one I have. You know, like dress for the job you want, not the one you have. That's like the stupidest thing I've heard all day. Aarti, you're so judgmental. What? You need to stop being Listen, judgmental. <laughs> I just think you can't be so demanding. That's all. You ask for what you want. Bleh.